0: Well, good morning. Did anybody else get blown away last night? (laughs) That was some serious wind. I woke up to the barbecue rattling around and thought the house was going to get lifted up. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. Today we're continuing a series on uh, King David. Uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Dan introduced the series and looked at uh, David as a man after uh, God's own heart and just looked at the fact that David was one of those guys that was really focused on who God was. And uh, last week he looked at the courageousness of David. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to, uh, to listen to those, if you uh, missed one of them, or if you didn't get a chance to hear the introduction to this series, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen. Um, Pastor Dan did a great job kind of setting up um, this series and just giving us a glimpse into the life of David and uh, what this series is going to be all about. And uh, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. You can listen to that from our website. Um, we've got it on our app. Uh, you can get that for our podcast. We make it pretty easy to, uh, to listen to the sermons online. In fact, uh, today, if you're following along, uh, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, um, the outline, the notes for the service are on there as well. So you can go to a YouVersion events and search for Springbrook. And we've got the outline for our time together as well, as well as links to listen to the sermons. And so this is a really good series. I'm really excited about um, just what it means for us to be able to focus on what it means to have a heart after God. And we're looking at different aspects of that, Today we're going to be looking at David's heart um, for forgiveness. Uh, but there's two things I want to share with you first about um, this issue of forgiveness. You know, first of all, you know, I believe uh, firmly that uh, forgiveness is, is probably, if not the most, one of the most important topics that we find in Scripture. Um, forgiveness is the foundation for our relationship with God. It's the foundation for what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And uh, it really is an important topic. And so as we're looking at uh, David's heart for forgiveness this morning, it really is uh, an important topic for us to be able to think about and examine in our own lives. Uh, The second thing about forgiveness that I think is really important for everybody to know is that sometimes forgiveness is really difficult. It's difficult for anybody sometimes to extend forgiveness to others. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it is really hard. And so when it comes to the topic of forgiveness, I know a lot of times uh, people will have... Um, questions or uh, want to explore that a little bit more. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to look at that um, with you this morning. Uh, forgiveness is easy and it's hard. Sometimes it's easy. This is a picture of me and uh, my good friend Bill Atkinson. We were playing racquetball last Thursday. And so that's uh, me there. See how red my face is? It's all red and, and sweaty. Look at Bill. He's just looked like he's having a good time, doesn't he? <laughs> I got spanked three out of three games and so uh, we had a lot of fun, though. But uh, I told Bill I was going to use this picture because about the, during that first game, Bill hit me right in the middle of the back with a ball. It, oh, it hurt. And Bill was like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, oh, don't give it a second thought. It, just, it doesn't hurt too bad. It was so painful. And uh, he said, I am so sorry. I said, that's, I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, and I think uh, if it wasn't for the uh, the pain... I probably would have forgotten about it by now, but uh, needless to say, um, it wasn't all that painful. In fact, I probably would have forgotten about the event if I hadn't been teaching on forgiveness today. I thought, Man, that's a great example of somebody asking for forgiveness, right? And so I told him I was going to use his picture. And so uh, I got to get back into racquetball, and so uh gotta, But you know, now that pain is kind of going away, I think I'm, I'm good to go. So, but uh, thanks, Bill, for taking me to, take, to play racquetball. Uh, sometimes. Forgiveness is not so. You know, it's really difficult. It's not so easy. This is a picture of Carla Faye Tucker. Has anybody ever heard of Carla Faye Tucker? She was. Uh, it's, I'm dating myself. This is actually a little bit older um, picture, but it was something that was really popular uh, in my time before I m- married my wife Carolyn. Um, Carla Faye um, killed uh, two people brutally. Um, it was a Jerry Dean and a Deborah Thornton, and uh, the murder was so. Um, graphic and so bad that it really made a lot of news, got a lot of news coverage. And um, the thing that made it even more popular was after she got arrested, uh, she went to jail, Um, she became a Christ follower. And so she hadn't been in jail maybe a year or two, uh, and she got involved in a Bible study, Um, she made a faith commitment, she became a strong Christian. In fact, she ended up marrying um, the prison minister uh, his name was uh, Dana Brown, I believe it was. And they got married at the same time Carolyn and I did. And so I had been following that in the news uh, anyway, because it was newsworthy at the time. Uh, but then when they, she got married at the same time Carolyn and I did, it was kind of back in the news again. And so uh, I was kind of been following that story. Um, it kind of died down for a little while, and it kind of resurrected as a story. Um, at the same, right up about the same time that I became a believer. And so she got executed uh, right at about the same time I became a believer. And what was interesting about the story was that they came out with a movie on, on, on the power of forgiveness. And so it features her story. And it was about somebody that had uh, created this terrible wrong, uh, but who had experienced forgiveness. And there was a group of people that were actually rallying, trying to get her sentence um, reduced, commuted, Uh, They were trying to get her off. There was, uh, uh, I think Newt Gingrich had gotten involved in that. And there was a lot of people that were kind of rallying around her trying to get her execution stayed. And um, she came out and said, you know, um, I've experienced forgiveness, but there's consequences. And so it was really an interesting story to listen to her process through that. But it really resonated with me because um, the whole issue of her story was centered around forgiveness, which was something that was new to me as a new believer. And so I had always believed there was a God and, and I didn't have a problem with church. Uh, but my relationship with Christ was new such that um, I had come off of a Promise Keepers event and uh, had really entered into a relationship with Christ. And I can remember um, talking, you know, I came home from an event um, one weekend and I can remember just kind of kneeling down uh, by my wife and just having to uh, to ask for forgiveness um, for Uh, the things that I had done in my relationship for the lack of uh, being a good husband and a good father. And so I just really had repented with my wife and really asked for forgiveness uh, amongst my family And about the same time this story was happening. And so forgiveness was something that was really on my radar. And uh, I can remember talking to several people about the issue of forgiveness. I was trying to explain what I had received in Christ. I did not know any other Christ followers except for the men that I had uh, met at church. Uh, my, Carolyn was a believer, and I had you know, some guys at church. But um, I remember you know, some of my family members thought i joined a cult. <laughs> and I just remember I was trying to explain my faith to a lot of people, and this issue of forgiveness kept coming up. And I can remember one of my uh, family members had asked me about, uh, you mean Hitler? If, if Hitler had asked for forgiveness, he'd be in heaven? I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of the way it works. And, uh, you know, forgiveness is one of those things that can be easy, but sometimes it can be really difficult. I was talking to uh, one guy specifically about Carla's case, and I can remember him telling me um, that if Carla Faye could find forgiveness, and she had the assurance of heaven, that he wanted nothing to do with a God that will let somebody that bad get into heaven. And so just the whole idea of forgiveness and, and what it means to experience justice, those are things that have been really close uh, to me and to my heart, and I think you know, and culturally when we're talking to people about forgiveness, Sometimes it's easy, and sometimes um, there's just a lot of pain. And I don't know if you've ever experienced the pain of forgiveness, uh, but I guess it's been in my experience that most people have. Something has happened. Uh, somebody has done something to you. Um, there's been some pain or hurt in your life, and sometimes those, those we carry those around with us, and uh, they can do a lot of damage. And so this morning we want to look at what does it mean to have a heart of forgiveness, and we're going to be looking at that in the life of David Typically, when I'm talking to somebody about forgiveness, um, one of my favorite stories comes from Luke chapter 22 and 23. And you know, specifically in this area of forgiveness, when it's difficult, you know, I like to look at the uh, life of Jesus. And Jesus in Luke chapter 22, he's uh, with his disciples. His ministry um, is about coming to its end. And uh, as you move into Luke chapter 22, he's sitting around on the dinner table um, with his disciples. He's having the Last Supper And these are the men that have been doing ministry with him. They're the men that are closest to him uh, for the three years of his ministry. And so they are they're linked arm in arm. He is really close to these guys. And so they finish uh, the Last Supper. And uh, it says in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus went off to pray as it was his custom. And some of the disciples fell asleep. And so Jesus comes back and he's like, wow, you guys couldn't even stay awake with me for, for this little short time. And so he's having this conversation with the disciples when all of a sudden, Judas Iscariot shows up, and he shows up in uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 47, it says this, while Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and it's, it's not just a large gathering of people, it's not just a crowd of people, I think a better translation might be there's a mob, there's a mob of people uh, that is coming after Jesus for the express purpose of arresting him. And, uh, and having him sent away. And look who is the head of this mob. The man called Judas. He's one of the twelve that was leading this mob. Now Judas was one of the guys that just moments earlier was sitting around the table having dinner with Jesus. And all of a sudden he's off selling himself out and bringing this mob over to Jesus to hand him over. As he drew near to Jesus to kiss him, Jesus looked at him and said, Are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And so Jesus is experienced somebody that was closest to him, uh, betraying him. And so Jesus understood what it meant to be uh, betrayed. He gets hauled off uh, by this mob to the chief priests, and all the disciples that are closest to him, the 12 guys that he just got through eating dinner with, all would reject him because they were afraid of what that might mean for them. In fact, in verse 47, or in verse uh, 60, I mean, when Peter was with him, somebody recognizes Peter and says, hey, wasn't this the guy that was with Jesus? And he says, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. So here we see Jesus, is, he's, uh, he's betrayed By somebody that's closest to him. Peter is one of the three that's closest to Jesus and he gets denied. And so Jesus, I'm sure, felt these at a very heart level in terms of the people that were rejecting him. While he was being held, even by his own people. Uh, It says this in verse 63. The men who were holding him in custody were mocking him as they beat him. And so not only was there an individual insult or betrayal, but there was a group effort of the twelve that had denied him. And now, those that were closest to him, his own people, the priests, the, the Pharisees, and the scribes, are beating Jesus as he's being held in captivity. They actually blindfolded him, and they kept asking him, prophesy, who's it that struck you? And he said, they said many other things against him, blaspheming blaspheming him. And so Jesus was rejected by his own people. He'd be hauled off. Uh, before the uh, uh, governor, Pilate. And it says this in the next verse, in verse uh, Matthew, chapter 27, and it actually describes the scene. It says, he was stripped and he was, they put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they crammed it on his head. And so they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they begin to mock him, saying, Hail, the King of Jews. And so his, one of his best friends betrays him. Those that were closest to him begin to deny him. Those that were his own people begin to beat him and ridicule him and blaspheme him. And now he stands before the Romans and he's being uh, stripped, beaten in a crown of thorns or crammed onto his head. He'd have to carry his own cross up to the crucifixion. Verse thirty says this, while they were doing that, they were spitting on him and they took that reed that he had in his hand and they were smacking him up against the head with it. So not only were they spitting him and mocking him, they were striking him up against the head. When they mocked him, they stripped him of the robes, they put his clothes on, and they led him away to crucify, to crucify him. Crucifixion was that painful, uh, agonizing death of having nails driven through your hands and through your feet and hanging on the cross. So there's Jesus hanging on the cross. He says this in this next verse. When you think about the crucifixion and the scene, when they got there to the place called Gogotha, making the place of the skull. They offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. It was just a real sour, nasty drink. So they began to just taunt him, make in front of him. He wouldn't drink that. After they crucified him, they divided his garments up by casting lots, and they sat down there to just keep watch on him. So at the end of the day... He's been mocked, he's been betrayed, he's been denied, he's been beat, he's been crucified, he's laying on the cross, he's got nails in his hands and his feet, and he's hanging on the cross and everybody's just sitting there watching him. Now, if you think about some of the things that he just experienced, I mean, think about some of these words. Betrayed, denied by the one closest to him, whipped, made fun of, ridiculed, beat up, mocked, spit on, crucified. I mean, think about everything that Jesus had just been through by those that were closest to him. And he's hanging on the cross. And just before he dies, he says this in Luke 22, verse 34. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think forgiveness can be more difficult than others. You know, if I was hanging there, I would like to think that I would be able to say forgive them, but in my own heart, I think I probably would have been trying to rain down the fire. I would have been doing something to get even. But here's Jesus hanging on the cross, exemplifying what it means to forgive somebody in the midst of pain and agony, hurt, despair. You know, this is the kind of forgiveness that is life transforming. This is the kind of forgiveness that Changes a person's life. This is the kind of forgiveness that I had in my own family or my own relationship. So I think about what it means to forgive others. This is a verse that always comes to my mind. What does it mean to forgive others when things are difficult? Well, that's the kind of forgiveness that is life-transforming. In fact, just after this scene in the next verse, when the centurion who was staying there was watching all this happen, he was keeping watch over Jesus. He saw the earthquake and he'd seen all that took place. And they were what? They were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, this is the kind of faith that changes life. This is the kind of forgiveness that will change a person's life. And it takes a special heart to be able to extend that kind of forgiveness, doesn't it? I mean, it can be difficult to extend Forgiveness in certain situations. But this is the heart that's reflective of the kind of forgiveness that we've been extended to. And this is the kind of heart that David had. You know, King David, uh, not king yet, you know, King Saul. So David was the second in the line. Uh, but this is the same kind of heart that David had towards King Saul as things were not going his way as well. You know, David as the second king didn't have a very smooth transition uh, and change of power. In fact, it was really difficult. Saul was really difficult and mean um, to, uh, to David. In fact, uh, last week, Pastor Dan looked at the courage of David as he went up against Goliath. And uh, it was that courage that David had that, saw, that Saul saw that actually put him in charge of Saul's army. David was a very courageous man. Saul sees that, says, man, I've got to put this guy uh, in charge of my army. David goes out, starts having these great victories in battle. But it was that same courage that David had that got him into trouble with Saul. In fact, David comes back from one of the battles. He's coming back into town, and it says this in 1 Samuel 16. The women see him coming back, and they all start to sing to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. And David, has ten thousands. And Saul was, what, very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've only ascribed thousands. What more can this guy do but take the kingdom from me? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And thus begins the journey for David, experiencing the power of a king that would want to destroy him. In order to get to David, Saul comes up with the idea that he'll let David marry his daughter. And so David marries um, Saul's daughter, uh, Michal. And uh, the idea was not that Saul thought David was a great guy, so I'm going to give him my daughter. The idea was that, hey, if I get my daughter to marry him, then at some point I can leverage that. Uh, relationship to my advantage and use that to get at David. And so Saul's thinking, man, I'm going to use my daughter and that's going to give me some inroads and I'll be able to bring about David's demise through the relationship with my daughter. But it doesn't uh, doesn't work out that way. First Samuel 19, um, Saul sends a message, uh, messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. And so David is in the house with his Saul's daughter, Saul knows he's there. I'm thinking, hey, this is the perfect time for me to leverage that relationship. I'm going to send somebody to kill him. Uh, but Michal, David's wife, knows about that plan. And she tells him, look, if you don't escape right now with your life tonight, tomorrow you're going to be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away, and he escaped. And so David is in trouble with Saul. Saul wants to kill him. He's after him. And, uh, and now Saul is on uh, he's got David on the run. And so David has to flee to save his own life. Um, and everybody that David comes in contact with gets in trouble uh, for helping him. So Michal would get in trouble with her dad. Jonathan would get in trouble with Saul. In fact, um, uh, David, when he's running and fleeing from the land, comes a, to a group of priests. And the priests help him. They give him some food. And they send him on his way. And when Saul finds out that the priest held him, helped him, he is really angry with them. In uh, 1 Samuel 22, uh, it says that Saul would have these guys put to death. The king said to uh, Doeg, I want you to turn, I want you to strike these priests down, and Doeg the Edemite turned and struck down the priest, and he killed them all on that day. Eighty-five priests um, who wore the linen ephod were put to death. And so you've got David. Saul wants to kill him. People that are coming in contact are being hurt. Um, the priests all get killed and so, I mean, Saul is really going after this guy. Uh, David's king's trying to kill him. He's fleeing for his life. The priests are dead. He's fighting Saul's battles for him still because he's still obedient to Saul. He still recognizes him as his king. And so David is still being faithful. And so he continues to fight these battles for Saul. And uh, he actually ends up going into uh, one of the local towns of Keilah. Keilah was a, uh, an area that was under Saul's protection Uh, They were being attacked. And so David um, says, you know, inquires the Lord, should I go in to help him? The Lord says, yes. And so David actually goes into this land of Keilah and protects all the people there, drives out the enemies and having this great celebration. And Saul finds out that David's there. And so Saul thinks, wow, now's my chance to go kill him. And the people of Keilah were so afraid of Saul that they actually uh, were going to turn him over um, to Saul. In fact, it says in this next verse in uh, 1 Samuel 23, David hears that David, or David hears that Saul's coming, and so he inquires of the Lord, and he says, will the men of Kelos surrender me into Saul's hand? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard? And the Lord God of Israel said, yes, um, he is going to come down. And David said, well, will the men of Kelos surrender me, and will they, will they give me into the hand of Saul? And he said, yes, they will surrender you. And so now here's these people that David just saved. The entire town has now been saved by David. And now they're getting ready to turn David over to Saul because they're so afraid of what Saul might do to them if they don't. And so David is fleeing for his life. He's got a king that wants to kill him. He's got, he's got his friends that are angry with him. Everybody around him is dying. The people that he's saving are killing him. And I mean, everything is working against David because of Saul. And while David's out of town, it gets a little bit worse because Saul actually says in Samuel 25, verse 24, Saul gives his wife away to somebody else. And so while David's out fleeing for his life, protecting everybody for Saul, Saul actually gives Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Paleti, the son of Laish, who was of Galen. So, so now he's lost his wife. I mean, David is really feeling the persecution of Saul. I mean, there's everything about that relationship that is going wrong. Fleeing for his life. everybody's getting put to death around him. Uh, people that are closest to him are turning him over to Saul. And now he's lost his wife. You know, and eventually it gets so bad that David actually gets driven into the land of the Philistines. His enemies. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. Goliath, the Philistine that he killed at war with Saul, it's so bad for David now that David has actually been pushed into living into the land of the Philistines. In First uh, Samuel, verse 27, David says this. In his heart, he said, I'm going to perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines, our enemies. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. It is so bad that David has been pushed into the land of his enemies. And he gets there, and the Philistines know who David is, of course. They know who Saul is. And so David comes in, and they say, Okay, well, you can stay here because we understand you're being persecuted. But you know what? We want you to stay over here. And they give him his own special place. And so the Philistines let him come in, and they give them uh, the land of uh, Zeklag. And so they say, okay, well, you can have this little province of Artaria over here. So David sets up camp in uh, Ziklag, and, you know, that's where his family is. That's where everybody kind of is gathered together. And uh, while he's in the land of the Philistines, he's, he starts to somewhat befriend them. The Philistines are actually at war um, with another tribe. And so David thinks, well, I'll go help the Philistines. You know, they were nice enough to give me this land. So David goes up. And he offers to help the Philistines. And so the Philistines look at him and they think, you know, we know God is with you and we know that you're able to destroy us. It would probably be better if you didn't come with us. Why don't you just go back home? And so David goes, okay. So he goes back to go back home. And when he gets back home, you know, he finds that his town where all of his people, friends, and it, it's all been overthrown. It's on fire. It's being burned down. It's engulfed with fire. And it says all the women and children have been carried off. Everybody's gone. And the few people that were with David, now all of a sudden, they're starting to get angry at David. I mean, these are the guys that are closest with David. They've been with him through this whole time. And now all of a sudden, they're about fed up. And in First Samuel chapter 3, it says this. When David gets there and sees what's going on, it says he was greatly distressed. I mean, it is bad. He's almost at his breaking point. And it says, even the people that were with him, those that were closest with him wanted to stone him. I mean, they were ready to put him to death. They were fed up with everything that was going on. David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him because all the people, everybody was bitter in soul. Each for his sons and daughters and everybody that had been taken captive. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. You know, now because of Saul, David's own men, want him dead so david's experienced the threats of the king he's experienced being pushed out of his own land he's experienced everybody that was closest to him that's wanting to help him being put to death he's being he's experienced being pushed into the land of the enemies and now even the enemies are up against him and even the ones that are still with him are up against him everybody is against david because of saul this relationship is at its odds wouldn't you think And so if you were David, how would you respond to Saul? I mean, wouldn't you want to put an end to this? But David finds his strength in the Lord. What's really interesting is that David had a chance to put all of this behind him. He had a chance to get rid of Saul and to become king and to put all this behind him. But he doesn't do that. If you brought your Bibles with you, um, I'd just encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel Chapter 24 with me, if you you don't have it, then that's fine, but you can listen along as I read. But I want to read for you the beginning of what happens in this chapter. Because David at one point has fled. he's hiding out in a cave. And so he knows Saul's trying to find him, he's hiding out, he's in the very back of a very dark cave. He and his men, it says beginning in chapter 24, Saul had returned from pursuing the Philistines and he was told, hey, David is in the desert in the desert of Engadi. And so he, so Saul took 3,000 men from all of Israel to seek out and look for David and his men near the crags, the wild goats. He came to a sheep pen along the way and there was a cave there. And Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. So I want you to picture this scene. So, so David is hiding out in the back of this cave from Saul who's... who's Flinging after him, trying to get him. And all of a sudden, Saul shows up in the cave. And so uh, he goes in to, to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's taking him a while. He's, 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 he's doing a big job, man. He's, he's taking a poop in there. And so, and so Saul, Saul's sitting over there going to the bathroom. And then David's sitting over here with his men watching this thing. <laughs> and then the men said to David, they say this, This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'm going to give you your enemy and your hands for you to deal with as you wish. This is a great time while he's going to the bathroom, man. Just go there and take him out. And so David, listening to this, starts to creep up on Saul. So he's walking over there. He gets right up next to Saul and he cuts off a piece of his robe. And he said, you know, it says that David felt bad for cutting the robe. You know, verse 5, it says, David David's conscious, he was conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. And then he went back to his men and he said this, The Lord said, He forbid me that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and didn't allow them to go attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And so David comes back and the guy's are like, well, man, if you're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. Let's get rid of this guy. And David stops him and says, that's not how God would have us handle this. So Saul leaves the cave and then David comes flying out after him. So Saul walks out, David comes out and he says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Don't you wonder, I bet Saul was pretty shocked when David came flying out of that cave behind him, knowing that he was in that cave with him. David said to Saul, why do you listen to these people that are saying David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord had delivered you into my hands, into the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared your life. I said I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe I have in my hand. I cut this piece of the garment off and I did not kill you. I want you to understand and recognize that I am not guilty of any wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And he says this in verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. See, David doesn't have his eye on Saul's throne. Saul is reading into this whole, this whole thing is because of what's going on in Saul's mind and in Saul's heart. And what's interesting about this story is, is Saul would come out to say, okay, everything's okay. Everything's going to be good. And then a few chapters later, Saul's trying to kill David again. I mean, Saul has really... Got it out for David. David knows what it's like to struggle when all the relationships around you are working against you. We all struggle with forgiveness. I think every one of us can say we've been assaulted. And, you know, we've got things working against us. We've all got pain. We've all got agony. And you know, we all struggle with people that have wronged us or hurt us or harmed us or done you know, some damage to us. We all struggle with forgiveness. You know, this morning, maybe you've been hurt. And you're trying to sort out this kind of pain. Maybe if it was your energy to be crouched over there in the cave, you'd just like to take them out. <laughs> you know, we all struggle with those feelings. You know, maybe you don't want to hurt anymore. Maybe you want to be able to experience the, the freedom that everybody else talks about. We all struggle. Every one of us has hurt in our past. And if you don't have a hurt from your past, you might be having some hurt right now. So you might have a hurt from your past, or you might have a hurt in the present. If you don't have a hurt in the past and the present, then you're going to have one at some point. Because that's the nature of relationships. We live in a fallen, broken world. Every one of us is selfish. Every one of us is sinful. And relationships are difficult. And there's conflict in relationships. We're constantly having to work on those. We're constantly having to forgive one another. My daughter uh, Natalie, I've got four girls, kind of I do. My daughter Natalie, is getting married in uh, three weeks. And uh, she met in, uh, they got engaged in Thanksgiving and they made it official over Christmas. And she's getting married in March. And she said, Yeah, we're getting married March 16th. I'm thinking, that's kind of soon, isn't it? <laughs> Poor Stark. Stark got vetted. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I thought, well, that's really too soon until I remembered with Carolyn. We met in July. We were dating in August. We were engaged and married in October. So I thought, well, okay. For me, though, I had to move quick before Carolyn got away because I knew I had to get in there before she knew me better. (laughs) Oh, no, I'll be all right. (laughs) I had to move quick. That's what I'm sure Stark's thinking as well. Stark is the, one of the luckiest guys in the world, second to me. So I encouraged uh, both of them uh, to see a counselor. Natalie uh, asked me to marry them, which was a, a real privilege for me to get to marry them. I've, it would have been okay if I just got to sit in the front and participate and be dad. But, you know, it's a real privilege to have, you know, your daughter come up and say, you know what, I, I respect you, I really want you to marry us. And so it was really a, an honor for me to be able to do that. But I told her, I well, I'm not going to do your premarital counseling because there's some things I really just, you, you go talk to somebody else about. <laughs> I'll premarital counsel any of you or somebody else, but I don't know, there's something different about your daughter. And so uh, we have a great group of counselors here at Springbrook. My wife and I have seen counselors. I recommended a counselor to, to Natalie. Counselors are just the biblical counselors that we use. Most of them have uh, their Masters of Divinity, uh, most of them are comfortable handling Greek, Hebrew, pastoral ministry. Uh, we have a really sharp group of counselors. And so I know Natalie, I turned her over. Uh, she's in the good hands of a counselor. But I am going to trust that process with you. Uh, I know you're going to take care of that. God's in this. But I want to tell you, uh, just from both from a dad's perspective, from a pastoral perspective, uh, when I talk to couples uh, before marriage and even after when they're struggling through different issues, I'm going to tell you right now, you've got to get to the point that you guys can work through conflict resolution. Said because the, you're married and there's going to be conflict in your marriage. <laughs> How long have you guys been married? There's conflict in marriage. Do you ever get that figured out? My wife and I have been married thirty-three years. There's conflict in our marriage. There's conflict. There's always been conflict in our marriage. I love. Uh, we have such a great group of seniors. We've got some people that when I look at their lives, just kind of emulate uh, the kind of life I want to live. I think of you know right off the bat, you know Hermans, the Letties, the Norns, Don Norn. Uh, as a guy that's just got a special place in my heart. He's been married almost 60 years. And uh, I was talking to Don a while back, and I said, so you've been married that long, you got it all figured out, right? He just kind of laughed. No. <laughs> You're constantly having to work it. Relationships. There's always going to be conflict. And we have to learn how to work through and talk about conflict. And rooted in that conflict resolution is this issue of forgiveness. Because somebody is going to do something to you at some point it's going to require you to examine your heart and to think about this issue of forgiveness. You know, every one of us is going to have to deal with this. Saul's sitting in the cave, hiding from Saul, and he writes Psalm 57. And Psalm 57 this morning has got five principles that I want to share with you to help you move through how to move towards forgiveness. And I, I want to stop because this is going to be a quick list. Because what I don't want to do is have you walk out of here and going, oh, you said there's five things to do. This should fix it. How come it's not fixed? And so these are five principles that I know you're going to find beneficial. But I want you to also understand that it, it starts with your heart. You have to examine your heart first because therein lies this issue of forgiveness. These five principles will help you um, to think about what it means to experience forgiveness. But this is really a heart issue. David's sitting in the cave in Psalm 57. Psalm 57, I love it. It opens up with these words. It says, For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. I wish Gary could sing that for me. I'd love to hear Psalm 57 to that tune. But it says it was written by David when he fled from Saul and he was sitting in the cave. And so David sitting in this cave. He writes this Psalm 57. He gives us five principles that we can learn from in order to move towards experiencing the same heart of forgiveness that David had. The first one is this. first principle is this. That we need to trust God's mercy and strength. We need to trust in God's mercy and strength. David opens up the psalm by saying, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes what? Refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. The gift of being merciful, merciful is, is withholding something that's due to you or something that's coming at you. And David says, look, I'm going to trust in your mercy. Please hold these things back. Be merciful to me. I'm going to take refuge in you and your wings. And so when we're struggling with forgiveness or somebody's done something wrong, I sometimes want to visualize just the shadow of the wings of God over, over me saying, don't worry, in me find your refuge. I'm going to be merciful to you. And if we're going to experience the kind of forgiveness that David exemplifies, the kind of forgiveness that you see from Christ on the cross, it starts with understanding that we need to turn to God first and put our trust in His mercy and His His strength. The second principle, the second step is this. We need to trust in God's purposes for us. David says he cries out to the God Most High, to the God who what? Fulfills His purpose in me. Sometimes there's things that happen, and sometimes I just wonder, Wow. That is not what I would have chosen. (laughs) That's not what I have done. This should have been going differently. But you know what? If you can pull back and realize that God has a bird's eye view, that God's got a plan, you can find peace in that. It will move you towards forgiveness. We don't always understand why things happen the way they do, but we can trust in God's purpose for us. We can trust in God's purpose for our lives and for the people around us and what God might want to accomplish through different situations. The third step is this. We need to trust in God's protection. David says that God will send down from heaven and will save me. He's going to be the one that puts to shame those who trample on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of men, whose Teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp, stores, are sharp swords. David finds his protection in God. Be exalted, O God above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. I set a net for my, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed low. They dug a pit in my way, but they are the ones that are going to fall into the pit themselves. David cries out for God's protection. In the midst of his trials and his troubles. And sometimes when we've been hurt and forgiveness is an issue, we just need to cry out to God for protection. Protect me in this, God, that I may trust you, that I can find my strength in you, that I can experience your protection. And step four is this. We need to trust that God's going to give us strength. David says, my heart is steadfast in you. My heart is steadfast. In fact, I'm going to sing and make a melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will make, I will awake the dawn. God will give us the strength to be steadfast. We don't always know what God has in store for us or what His purpose is for the pain that comes into our life. We don't always understand why things happen to us that we can't explain. But we can remain steadfast in who we are in Christ. And we can ask God to give us the strength. The strength not just to persevere for it, but to be able to find joy in it and sing and make a melody. In fact, that's step five. We could choose to give God the glory for those things that are happening to us. David is in this cave being pursued. All these things are happening to him and he says, I'm going to give thanks to you, O Lord. Among all the peoples, I'm going to sing your praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. We can choose to give God glory for those things that are happening in our lives, especially within this area of forgiveness. God, I have no idea what this is or what you want to do with it, but I know you have a plan for me. I know you love me. I know I can remain steadfast in you, and I'm going to choose to put my trust in you, and in fact, I'm going to choose to let you be glorified through this. And when we share with others what our struggles are, and then we ask others to pray for us, it points them to God. You know, when we have struggles, we can try to take things on ourselves and I can try to get even. But does God get glorified in our getting even? No. When we choose to give God the glory in these areas of forgiveness, God honors that. You know, He warns us not to take matters into our own hands. Forgiving is not about forgetting. Forgiving is about remembering but choosing to put our trust in who God is. It's not up to us to make sure that people pay for hurting us. God will take care of them and us. Romans twelve nine says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will be the one that repays, says the Lord. When we take matters into our own hands, we rob God of his rightful place in our lives and in specific situations. We need to turn to him, and we need to trust him. Vengeance is his, He will repay. In our cave of doubt, fear, rebellion, we can talk to God, who is our refuge. Putting our trust in God and understanding who we are in Christ is the foundation of forgiveness. In fact, apart from who you are in Christ, let's say forgiveness is almost impossible. In John fifteen, Jesus says this, "Is the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, you abide in my love. If you keep my commands, You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be complete, that your joy may be full. Apart from Jesus Christ, forgiveness is so difficult. But through our relationship with Christ, we can experience the forgiveness that he's extended to us. And we can extend that to other people. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that really is the first step. So you can look at and examine your heart. You can look at these five principles, but without a relationship with Christ, without the promise of the Holy Spirit living in us, we can't do these things on our own. And so you've got uh, a welcome slip on the, on the bulletin. If you haven't torn that off, you'll know, mad ask you to put your name on there and prayer request. There's a place on the back of that to say, hey, I want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ. And if you don't have one, if you can't articulate that, that's a part of examining our hearts. Remember, we said that forgiveness is a heart issue. You can't just reduce it to a set of principles. It starts by our examining ourselves. And really, it starts by examining ourselves with who we are in Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, we want to help you with that. You know, a person comes to understand the need for Christ. It's sin that separates us. We all need forgiveness. If you haven't experienced the forgiveness that's ours, you know, through Christ, that really is the first step. And so there's a place to indicate that at the back. If you're going through something this morning, that uh, We can pray for you about. There's a place for you to share a prayer request on that. But, you know, Jesus said that He came so that we could have life and have it to the full. And so there's joy that comes about as a result of having a relationship with Christ. Even when things aren't going the way that we think they should. Even when we're stuck in the back of that cave, there's joy to be had when we choose to place our faith in Him, to put our trust in Him, to turn to Him, to ask Him for protection. So that's my prayer for each of us this morning as we think about forgiveness, that we'd all be able to experience um, that in our lives. Our are going to come forward and uh, they're going to collect those welcome slips and our tithes and offerings in just a moment. I want pray for you before we leave. But uh, if you didn't have a chance to fill that out, if you've got any questions, um, you know you can fill that out later. There's a black box out at the guest services desk. You can drop, drop it in there. But I encourage you, if you have questions about that, you can talk to any of our pastoral staff, any of our leaders, our prayer team. Um, uh, I really want to encourage you this morning to be able to embrace the forgiveness that's ours. Let's all pray that we can model a heart of forgiveness like David. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today, and I thank you for the opportunity we have um, just to encourage one another this morning in this issue of forgiveness. I know sometimes it is just, uh, it's just difficult. Sometimes it's easy to forgive, and sometimes it's difficult. Uh, But God, I just thank you for your word, for the life-transforming power of your word. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ and God, I pray that you would just continue to strengthen us. We look forward to all that you have for us, individually, collectively, together. Uh, God, thank you for um, this day. And uh, God, for those that uh, maybe are struggling with something right now in the area of forgiveness, I pray that you would soften their hearts towards you and what you want to accomplish. I pray that for myself uh, as well, God. I know sometimes forgiveness can be difficult, but we have great models in your son, Jesus, and through your servant, David. And I pray that we would be models as well. We look forward to all that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen.